Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast, the Just Like Starting Over edition, as my broadcast partner Dave Lapham joins me to discuss the start of OTAs under new head coach Zach Taylor and a big change on the Bengals' offensive line. OTA, by the way, stands for Organized Team Activities, which is a fancy NFL term for practice with no live contact and some other limitations. The Bengals are allowed to have 10 OTAs, which they will conduct over the next three weeks with no weekend workouts permitted. Coming up on the pod, I'll get Lapse observations about the first OTA workout, including that big change up front, a few players that stood out, and assistant coaches that caught his eye. We'll also hear from Cordy Glenn, who did something he hadn't done in an estimated 10 years on Monday. And in this week's Fun Facts interview, I will talk to Bengals president Mike Brown about the position group that has probably cranked out more great players than any other in team history. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest invention since... Foaling. In the interest of full disclosure, I haven't tried it yet, but foaling is a combination of football and bowling, where you throw a football to try to knock down your opponent's bowling pins before they knock down yours. A 30-lane foaling warehouse has opened in Cincinnati, and it includes a bar. I plan to give foaling a try very soon. Now let's get to football, as I bring in my broadcast partner Dave Lapham to discuss the Bengals' first OTA practice under Zach Taylor. One OTA practice in the books, and Lap, I guess the, the closest thing to news on day one was how the offensive line lined up, the fact that Jonah Williams was at left tackle and Cordy Glenn moved inside to left guard. Now, Clint Bowling isn't practicing yet. Right. Alex Redmond isn't practicing yet, so these things can obviously still change. But what was your reaction to seeing that? Uh, I wasn't really shocked uh, by any stretch. You know, I, Cordy Glenn has played the guard position, although it was back in those college days. Uh, he mentioned that he might have done it a little bit at practice when he was at Buffalo, but never did play, get any game snaps at the guard position. And, you know, it's a different world. Uh, basically, you know, at the tackle position, you're working in space and uh, you, you have to be real patient with your technique and sometimes with your hands, whereas inside at the guard position, everything's coming fast. You have to get your hands on people a lot faster. You have to make quicker decisions. Uh, you can't wait as long <laughs> to decide what you're going to do, how you're going to attack with your technique at, at the guard position as you can, you know, at, at the tackle position. So they are they are different worlds, but I think Cordy Glenn, you know, has played in both worlds, and I think he's going to be able to adjust uh, to playing in both worlds. But as you said, Dan, it's the first day of OTA, so there's there's miles to go before anybody rests, mm-hmm. that's for sure. But with the 11th pick of the draft, it's not a surprise that Jonah Williams is lining up at the spot that he, you know, he played so well at Alabama, you know, only gave up one one sack and, I don't know, 800 and something snaps, I think, set pass sets it was at the left tackle position. So he's pretty uh, pretty impressive with his technique out there. He's got great feet. He's quick. He's got great hand placement. Um, I think he can play the, the left tackle position, and I think they want to give him the first crack at it out there. It sounded like Cordy Glenn appreciated the way new offensive line coach Jim Turner handled it. He pulled him aside. It sounded like it was a few weeks ago and more or less let him know that 
this might be the way that things are going to go, at least in OTAs. I think that's a wise thing to do. I, I think that it, you know, it wouldn't be real fair to just throw it out there as a surprise on, on you know, that morning you go to meetings and it's like, yeah, here's where you're going to be playing now as opposed to uh, you're, you're preparing your mind and your mindset for maybe uh, something else. So I think that that's smart. That's wise. I think that uh, shows that, that uh, Jim Turner is all about communicating with his players, which is good. And, you know, I, I'm impressed with, with watching him work with his offensive line. He gets a lot of reps. He's, he comes from the Frank Pollock school. There's no standing around killing grass. I mean, these guys go through a ton of reps, no matter what they're doing. If they're in cone drills, if they're on sleds, if they're, you know, working against each other, there's a maximum number of opportunity for every single guy in a short period of time. And uh, the thing I like about him with his technique, the, the lineman's feet are always moving. They're always chop-stepping. You know, they're not taking big plodding, you know, steps and anchoring like, you know, Andre the Giant. I mean, they, they get the quick jackhammer feet, and I, I like that in their technique, and I do like what they're doing with their hands. I think there's a lot of similarities uh, between what, what, uh, what, what Frank Pollock and what Jim's doing as this offensive line coach with this group. Looking at the rest of the line, Billy Price was at center. John Miller, the free agent they picked up from Buffalo, was at right guard. Bobby Hart was at right tackle. Billy Price looks good to me. He looks fit. He looks strong. He looks confident after getting through an injury-plagued rookie year. Yeah, I think it was kind of a nightmare, you know, probably starting with the combine. He really had never been hurt and, you know, messes his peck up at the combine and the bench press uh, testing. And so, you know, that was like, wow, that's, that's out of left field. That's kind of a rarity. And, uh, you know, he comes back from that, and then he has the almost like a Liz Frank-type injury with that foot that, that is not a real comfortable thing to deal with. So literally and figuratively never was able to get his feet under him, you know. And uh, now, now that he has, the good thing is he went through all the mental reps the entire season. Uh, even when he had the, the pec problem from the, uh, from the combine, he was taking all the mental reps out there in OTAs and mandatory mini camps and then training camp and so he did see it he did experience all the meetings uh there's there's something to be said for that and he got out in the field and played so he experienced the tempo of the national football league and the differences that uh you have to make adjustments to coming from the college uh, level so his improvement from year one to year two we always talk about it it's always big for every rookie for him i think it's going to be astronomical because you know he was uh he was doing it wounded you know last year a couple of different times if guys are healthy, there really aren't a ton of starting jobs open on the roster, but one is at defensive end where Michael Johnson isn't around anymore. Sam Hubbard was in there with the ones to begin uh, the first reps of OTAs on Monday. Kerry Wynn rotated into that spot quite a bit as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with both of them. I think they're, uh, they're both athletic. Sam Hubbard and Kerry Wynn are, are going to give the Bengals a lot of snaps, I think, good snaps off that edge. Uh, Kerry Wynn reminded me of Eddie Edwards out there a little bit, a long, long-armed, uh, you know, long-bodied type defensive lineman that has, you know, enough body strength he can lock you out with those long arms in the running game, set an edge a little bit, uh, as well as, as pass rush. And Sam Hubbard, we, we, we saw everything about Sam you, you love, his athleticism, his effort, and Wynn's that kind of guy too. They're big hustle guys. I mean, they, they don't waste – you never see them walking anywhere. You never see them bringing up the rear in any drill. They're always in the front, forefront of everything, and they're always, uh, you know, first guy at the line. If they're going to run sprints, those, those are the type of guys you like to have, and I think I think that's going to be a pretty good one-two punch over there at that position for sure. As for Vontez Burfick's spotted linebacker, the Bengals actually came out in nickel. So Preston Brown and Nick Vigil out there at linebacker, and B.W. Webb was in there as the extra defensive back when they did 
get three linebackers on the field. The first one out there was Jordan Evans in that third spot. Right, and that, that makes sense. You know, at, at this point, um, you have a, you know, a, a rookie linebacker who hasn't signed a contract yet. How much do you want to expose him uh, potentially? So and, and that being proud, of course, um, at the linebacker position. But, uh, you know, I, I was impressed with Webb. I thought Webb made, made plays at that, at that spot in the nickel. Uh, obviously, Lou is very familiar with him. Uh, coached him with the New York Giants. Brought him here for a reason, and and he he showed up. I mean, he he made some plays. I thought that uh, overall, the tempo of practice, everything was very very crisp. Guys were excited. There was a lot of enthusiasm. You can talk about that kind of stuff. You can talk about excitement in the room, enthusiasm. Will it carry to the field? It did. It carried from the classroom to the field. And, and it wasn't false. You know, there was nothing false about it. Defensive players, you know, when one room would, would go off the field, another one came on, it was a sprint. It was like NASCAR. It was like making a pit stop. I mean, they were flying by each other, getting on and off the football field. That's the kind of thing, you know, you like to see. I thought, uh, as is the case, a lot of times, Dan, defense might have outplayed the offense in the very first uh, skirmish as such when they go 11 on 11. Um, and I think, I think the offense will, you know, Obviously, their, their their graph will start going up very quickly. Um, Zach made reference to the point that there were turnovers, but they were self-inflicted. The ball was on the ground too much in terms of just simple handoffs and those kind of things. Defensively, we'd like to see more turnovers, more takeaways forced by the defense. But the offense was uh, was was way too uh, <laughs> way too charitable, and so they have to tighten that part of it up. Ball security is a big a big deal, but I, I thought that uh, you know the the tempo of practice overall. Uh, to and from uh, drills, on and off the football field, on the field as they're running plays against each other. I thought all of that was very, very high level. The execution, not where you want it yet, but it's only day one. One offensive guy who did make plays was the second-round draft pick tight end out of Washington, Drew Sample. He had several catches, including a deep ball down the seam. He did. He looked He looked very good, you know, and, uh, you know, he, he, he's down the middle against, uh, you know, it's not chopped liver out there. It's, it's, it's against Jesse Bates, who, you know, that's the last two second-round picks, back-to-back years going after each other. And Jesse Bates had a very, very strong rookie season. So, you know, it's good to see Sample making those plays. And I thought he was a very easy catch of the football. He didn't struggle. I mean, it wasn't like he was, you know, working to catch the football. It was very, very simple. You know, he just... It was like suction cups, man. Flicked those hands out there and a very, very easy catch of the football, which I think was a, a really good sign. And he ran good routes. And, you know, that's the thing. That, the other thing that I was impressed with, young guys, uh, veteran guys, it's new systems on both sides of the football. I didn't see a ton of mental errors. I didn't see mental breakdowns. I saw physical breakdowns, and that, that's correctable. Um, the mental errors are correctable also, but those are discouraging. You know, if you spend time in the classroom, you expect guys to understand installation. The fact that they're retaining what the coaches are putting out there, I think, is a, is a real good sign because I didn't see any jailbreaks, any mental errors out there. Uh, again, physical mistakes, and they happened, and uh, they'll hopefully get better. The bulk of the OTA practice was spent in individual position drills. You spent a lot of time watching Jim Turner work the offensive line, and we talked about the way he's going about that a little bit. Did any of the other assistant coaches, new assistant coaches, catch your eye? Yeah, I, I think I think a lot of them. You know, I, I think I think every single position group that I looked at, the players. Some you can tell when players responded to coaches, or if they're just kind of like. 
you know, let me just get through this drill. And all of them are, are you know, their eyes are on them. Their ears are open. I mean, they're, they're definitely paying full attention. You don't, you don't see guys, you know, looking at the ground, kicking dirt, trying to, you know, kill daisies or whatever. You don't see any of that going on. Guys are, are you know, attention front and center. And I think, I think that's, a, that's a good indicator that uh, the coaches have already gotten the respect of the players. And we talked about the, all the players that we talk in the locker room with, Dan, they all talk about the youthful enthusiasm and excitement that the coaches are bringing to the classroom. They're bringing it to the football field as well, and players are responding to that. And, uh, and, and they're, they're buying what the coaches are selling. The coaches are good teachers, and the, and the players are, are learning from these teachers, which is good. Um, the attention paid to detail, I think, is, is, is very, very good. And I, I, I'm really impressed with, with all the coaches up and down, uh, all position groups. Uh, they, they seem to have, you know, the players, not in the palm of their hand as such, but, you know, they, they have full control and, and full attention of all their players. How about defensive line coach Nick Eason in particular? That's a group that has a lot of talent but didn't dominate last year. And he's he's um, almost, I think they look at him as a veteran contemporary. I mean, he gets after them. He challenges them physically, mentally. I mean, he wants effort now. And if, if you're not giving him effort, he's not bashful. And he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care if you're a multiple-time pro bowler or a college free agent. He's treating you the same way. It's like, man, you gotta, you got to show me more than that. You got to hustle. You know, you, you don't have to be a great player to hustle. And I want hustle out of everybody, up and down the entire defensive line roster. And and uh, he's demanding it. And and I think the players that I talk to in that position group say he's a no nonsense guy, and and he'll challenge anybody. And uh, he's challenged the leaders of that position group very early on to make sure that everybody knows that uh, he's not going to play any favorites in that regard. And and he expects the same out of everybody. And I think, uh, I think he's going to get big effort out of the defensive front. I think it's going to be interesting to watch how the season progresses with those guys. I think there's going to be some internal competition there that's never, never a problem. It's always healthy. And uh, I, I think guys are going to push you know, their, their fellow teammates to, to, to bigger heights, and, and it's going to be led by their coach. I mean, he's going to get after it. He'll go and two-gap all of them. <laughs> he's a big, strong guy. And I think, I think they, they respect the fact that he played in the league for a long time. And, uh, you know, I think that, that part of his resume, they're very respectful of. And, and he knows what he speaks. I mean, he's got, he's got those guys you know, watching their hands. He's got them working their hands extremely well every single day. And that's what it boils down to. It boils down to footwork and hands and who, who's better in those areas. And you can never work on those enough. And, and he knows that. He understands that to be able to play in the league, you have to have both. You have to have good feet and excellent hands. This comes as no surprise, but it certainly looks like Andy Dalton is already grasping exactly what Zach Taylor wants to do. I agree with you, Dan. I mean, Andy's uh, Andy's a smarter football player, I think, as there is. You know, obviously Tom Brady is you know, the leader of the pack in that regard with his six Super Bowls, and uh, but but he has had continuity, you know, with his coaching staff, his same head coach the entire career for Tom Brady, and a good part of it with Josh McDaniel. You know, I mean, other than when he left to go to Denver for a little bit of time. Uh, he's had the same coordinator, so that that part of it is is uh, is good for for Tom Brady. This will be Andy Dalton's third different offensive installation in three years, and it's not like he's a rookie. I mean, he's you know he's been in the league for more than a handful of seasons, so uh, but but he can he can comprehend it. I mean, he can grasp it. He can unlearn and relearn as fast as anybody I've I've seen, and um, I, I really like the the offense too. I mean, the quarterbacks are out of pocket as much as they're in pocket. There's a lot of movement going on with this offense a lot of uh 
you know, a lot of jet sweeps, a lot of fake jet sweeps, and then uh, play action pass uh, around that. Sometimes quarterback stays in the pocket. Sometimes they're out of pocket. Sometimes they're, you know, an unprotected quarterback on a naked bootleg. Other times they have people in front of them as blockers. I mean, it's uh, it, it, you're going to see a lot of different things as a defensive football team from this offense. And again, Zach wasn't uh, totally excited about the overall execution of the offense in the first day, but uh, everybody knows it's going to get a lot better. We mentioned B.W. Webb and Sample as a couple of guys that, that seem to have good days. Anybody else catch your eye, uh, particularly somebody that maybe is a little bit off the radar? Well, this guy's not off the radar, but I, you know, I was watching Jonah quite a bit at left tackle, and you know, he's, he's solid. He's solid as a rock. I mean, he's a, he's a, a sound technician. He's almost like a robo-tackle out there, you know, watching him. Again, it's underwear ball, so you can't really, you know, get, get, that, uh, get that excited about it yet. Uh, Cordy Glenn, um, I thought, you know, adjusted well inside. Uh, it, it is going to be interesting. Those two guys working together, if that's the way it's going to be, is, is going to be very interesting uh, in terms of picking up all the stunts and twists and uh, all the calls that have to be made and everything that goes along with it. I thought Cordy was playing a little bit high, you know, at the guard position. Going to have to maybe work on that pad level a little bit. Um, but I think we've hit, you know, some of the guys, some of the, some of the guys, though, that uh, you'd expect catch your eye Giovanni Bernard still catches you know he, he to me he's got that quickness that burst that lateral quickness that he has is is fun to watch you know we got to remember Joe Mixon wasn't out there AJ Green wasn't out there you got you know big time players that weren't part of the action out there so I thought uh, I thought some of the defensive linemen um, really really I thought defensively a lot of guys flashed a lot of a lot of players flashed we talked about you know quite a few of them and again I thought BW Webb you know, flashed pretty well. I, th I thought the defense was aggressive. I thought there was a heavy blitz uh, mentality to what they're doing. I think they're going to get after people. I think offensively and defensively, I think it's it's all about attack, you know. It's about aggress aggressiveness. And I thought a lot of players have shown in versatility that they were hoping, the coaches were hoping that they had. You know, sometimes you, you, you have to morph and mutate into something uh, different. You know, Cordy's going to go through that, and other guys are going to do it. Um, but... I think I think the football IQ with, with players that have to have football IQ is there. I think leadership is there. We talked about all the captains they drafted, talked about leaders that are already on this football team. And, you know, everybody's undefeated right now. Everybody's optimistic right now. But uh, it's, it was a good start. They're far from the finished product. They got a lot of polish to put on to be a finished product. But I think it was a good start. It's kind of strange not to see Marvin Lewis standing back there in the secondary with his practice itinerary in his hand following things. I know it's 16 years of, uh, of it being that way, and Zach's just the total opposite. Marvin, on defensive orientation, liked to get back there as a, as a deep, deep safety and, and observe everything. Now, Zach, with the offensive orientation, he's right behind the huddle because he's calling the plays. I mean, he's right there. He's, uh, you know, he's got the, the walkie-talkie, uh, you know, with the with the calls going right to the quarterbacks' headsets in their in their helmets. So it, it's a, it's a much different dynamic out there. You're right, Dan. Is the cafeteria open? I'm kind of hungry. Let's let's uh, let's pound some grub. <laughs> <laughs> nothing nothing wrong with a good lunch. <laughs> Thanks, Lap. Following practice on Monday, reporters crowded around the locker of offensive lineman Cordy Glenn to get his thoughts on lining up at guard after strictly playing tackle in his first seven NFL seasons. I mean, I played it before, but I mean, obviously when we drafted Jonah, you know, it's going to be different, uh, especially with that type of investment. So you got to do whatever the about the team, honestly. That's what it comes down to. You may have already answered this. When's the last time you played guard? 
probably like 10 years ago. 10 years ago? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you never played it in the NFL, even in preseason games or anything? Never played uh, maybe a practice or two. Like, I might have tried it out. But no, I have no preseason, nothing. You think it's easier to go outside, inside, rather than inside, outside, if you haven't done either before? I don't know. They're totally different animals. Yeah, it's different. I'm not sure. I don't know how to answer that one. Cody, it's first day of OTAs, long way from the season opener, but do you figure I am probably a starting guard this year? Uh, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, the first thing for it to work would have to be your, you embracing it, really. I mean, are you wide open-minded to the possibility of doing it? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm out there right now, practicing. I've been out there, you know, since they told me, doing everything, preparing for it. So, yeah. You just kind of look at it as that's being a pro? Yeah, doing your job. Coach Turner give you the sense that you'll still be getting some time at tackle and he's just going to kind of, like, try to figure out what works best? I'm not sure, man. I really have no idea. We just had our conversation or whatever, and uh, that was it. Um, I don't know. Did you like the way he handled it? You mentioned it's kind of a man-to-man conversation. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't like he came in there and it just, like, well, we was out in the practice field and it's like, oh, we'll go do this. I mean, he said we had a meeting about it, and, I mean, that's all you can ask for, really. As I mentioned in my conversation with Dave Lapham, last year's starting guards, Clint Bowling and Alex Redman, are not practicing right now as they recover from injuries, so we are still a long way from knowing if Cordy Glenn will move to guard this season. Now time for this week's Fun Facts interview and another visit with Bengals president Mike Brown as I get his thoughts on the best wide receivers in franchise history. If you had to choose a position where the Bengals have had the most great players at any given position, it might be wide receiver. And today we're going to look back at some of the all-time best in franchise history with team president Mike Brown. Let's start with Isaac Curtis, who averaged 17 yards per catch during his 11 years with the Bengals. When you think of Isaac, what stands out? Well, Isaac uh, was probably the pick of the litter. Uh, He was a great player here. He had intense speed. He was the fastest, I'm sure, of any wide receiver we ever had. He had uh, wonderful hands. But he played in an era when defense was allowed to bump and hold up the wide receiver. They could keep their hands on the wide receiver all the way downfield. And that made it much tougher to throw the ball during that era. If Isaac had played in today's era, I wonder how anyone would have stopped him. Uh, But he was a great player, a good person. And if I had uh, a starting all-time Bengals team, he'd be on it. Mike, a key player on your first Super Bowl team was a gangly rookie wide receiver from the University of Florida named Chris Collinsworth. Yeah, Chris, uh, uh, I have lots of memories of Chris, and uh, they date back to when he paraded across the stage at the Combine. In those days, the Combine was more primitive. There were actually two of them. The league had one Uh, group of teams in one combine and another group of teams in a different combine but we were down there watching uh, Chris at the Tampa Bay Bucks uh, complex and uh, he walked out and 
the group of scouts, much smaller in those days, but just one small room, but they all began to laugh because uh, Chris uh, looked like a drowned rat. <laughs> he was 6'5 and about 185, if that. And uh, uh, he, uh, instead of being offended, laughed back, hmm. which made an impression. Uh, he didn't care what you thought. And then when we got him here for the first time, you knew immediately that he was a special player because he was not only tall, he was quick out of the break. And you could see that right away. He'd get separation. And, of course, he was a very smart player. When you put those things together, uh, you had a uh, Pro Bowl player. And that's what he was for us. Do you enjoy listening to him as a broadcaster? Uh, some of the time. <laughs> no, he's a good bro. He, he's very, very talented. And he has a quick mind. You can see it. And he's got a good sense of humor. He's insightful in uh, uh, surprising ways at times. Uh, he's the top of the... Uh, group there. He he's just uh, has proven that to everybody. We're looking at some of the great wide receivers in franchise history with Mike Brown. Your second Super Bowl team had Collinsworth on one side and the 1985 Rookie of the Year, Eddie Brown, on the other. In that season, 1988, he averaged 24 yards per catch. It's still a record for a player that had 50 or more receptions. Uh, Eddie was extremely fast, quick. He was... Uh, uh, really uh, hugely gifted. The th- thing that uh, came along to make it hard on him was he had what was called gamekeeper's thumbs. His uh, hands were injured in such a way that he lost the strength of his grip. Uh, the, if a ball hit his hands, his thumb would uh, give way backwards. And it ha- it actually hit both hands. Uh, if you judged him uh, healthy... Uh, he would have been uh, right up there with uh, Isaac. The thing he had was uh, extreme quickness. Uh, he was one of those guys, I use the phrase, jump frame. And that dates back to the old movie days where you had frame upon frame in a film. And with him, you would see him in one frame, and then you'd see him all, all of a sudden... Uh, couple yards away how'd he get there well he was that quick he he got it uh, done the franchise record for touchdowns scored in a season belongs to a wide receiver with shall we say a prickly personality carl pickens Uh, carl uh, was a great athlete he could uh, jump out of the room he was a high jumper i think he could clear seven feet in a high jump our uh, attack with him was just to throw the ball in his general direction and He'd come up with it. He could get above the other guys. Uh, we came up with that blooper ball, and we'd throw it way downfield. You don't see it uh, today. But uh, our uh, deep pass was truly 65 yards downfield. And these other guys, the defensive backs for the other teams, would get lost underneath it. And Carl had a marvelous way of knowing where the ball was and judging his position to catch it. Uh, he made a lot of great plays for us. The all-time franchise record holder for receptions, yards, and touchdowns is Chad Johnson. What is his Bengals legacy? Well, Chad uh, 
was unusual. He uh, got separation, and and uh, Carson and he, in their days here when they were both uh, functioning at their best, were unstoppable. Uh, Chad would uh, go down on that 17-18 yard in break and Carson would put that ball into him and then all hell would break <laughs> loose. Uh, people would be running into each other. Chad would be threatening to run right through it all. Uh, it uh, was a terrific combination for us. Uh, Chad brought with him his uh, propensity for showmanship and uh, at times even I laughed. <laughs> you took Chad in the second round of the 2001 draft and then in the seventh round you made one of the great late draft picks in franchise history in T.J. Hushmanzada. Yeah, T.J. was a smart receiver. Uh, he thought he was fast and I guess that was enough. He was fast because he never lacked for confidence about what he was going to do or where he was going to be. Uh, he and Chad were a terrific uh, combination. And uh, I uh, would put uh, TJ in the extra smart department as well. He, he knew what he was about. Everything was thought out with him. They were a great duo and especially hard to stop when paired with the late great Chris Henry? Well, Chris could run, uh, and he had a long reach. Uh, radius, the catching radius was extraordinary. But if he caught up to you, if you were a defensive back and he got alongside of you, it was all over. He'd just run away. And when we had him uh, as part of the mix, part of the combination we had on the field, it scared the other team. They had to accommodate for him because they didn't want a pass going over their heads. They didn't want a quick score. That opened things for everybody else. So that was what he brought to the mix. That takes us to the present day and A.J. Green. At this point, do you put him up there with Isaac Curtis on the list of the franchise's all-time best wide receivers? If I had a starting all-time Bengals team, he'd be on it. Uh, he brings a different package. He's fast, but not as fast as Isaac. Uh, he's quick, but not as quick as Chad. Uh, he uh, has a tremendous catching radius and a very competitive spirit. Uh, he, you um, feel uh, really secure with him on one side. They have to overplay him. They know if they don't, they're in trouble. And yes, you're right when you say we've had a number of top wideouts over the years. I think probably uh, that is a position where we've had more than our share of great players. I always enjoy this. Thanks for the time. Good to visit. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. And if you have a couple of minutes, give it a rating or leave a comment. Your feedback's great, and five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast. <laughs>